is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble though the earth be Hi, and welcome to Journey Through the Word, a podcast that takes us through the scriptures, one book and one message at a time. I'm Jeff Gilbert, and I'll be your guide through the Bible to help you better understand God's Word, what He wants to teach us, and more about His Son, Jesus Christ. Hi, we're going to continue now with Acts chapter 6. And it says in those days that when the disciples were growing in number, uh, there was a complaint by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So we see one thing that's happening, which is always really good to read about, is that they were always increasing in number. So this movement that had started then of following Christ and leaving the Jewish tradition behind was growing daily and quickly. So much so that the Hellenists, who were Jewish Christians, but they they spoke Greek, so they were of a Greek heritage more than a Hebrew heritage, they were complaining because they were being neglected in the daily distribution. The daily distribution would be, you know, those things that were being taken care of by the church. Here it was the widows, right? They, They needed help, and the church was taking care of them. Remember that when we use the phrase church here, we're using it very loosely. It's groups of people meeting and talking about Jesus and seeing the fulfillment of prophecies and Old Testament scriptures. It's not, you know, a building or a structure per se. It's just the following of Jesus, which is very good to remember when we think about church. It's not tradition. It's not buildings. It's not outfits. It's not what you wear or anything like that. It's following Jesus and listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and how he leads the church. Here, the the apostles, the twelve apostles, called all of the disciples together. And they said, you know, we, we can't give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. So it's really the physical labor, the material things that were taking place in the church then, in this case, taking care of the widows who were being neglected. So he said, they said, you pull out seven guys uh, who are of good repute, full of the Spirit, wisdom, and we'll appoint them to, to, the, to that duty. And we'll devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the Word. So here there's really two very important functions in the Bible, according to this description. One is, we would say, the leader of the church, the pastor, or maybe an evangelist, right? He's dedicated himself to the study and the ministry of the Word of God. It's important for him to know the Word, to preach the word, dispense the word, and to, to teach people about the word of God. So they devoted themselves to that and to prayer. So they're not really separate things. You can't really devote yourself to the word of God without prayer and fellowship with God at the same time. And the other guys, this, the deacons, as they became called, these seven men were, were, were very qualified, right? So they weren't just okay guys. They had to be of a good reputation. They had to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom, and they would be appointed to that duty. It's really interesting because their duty is going to be a material one where they take care of physical needs, material needs of people around them, but they had to have a spiritual condition to do that. Here's something really important we should know about churches today is that because a person is talented or qualified 
in a physical way to do a particular task. Oh, we have a concert pianist here in our midst. Let's put them in the piano in order to lead our worship. They're professionals. They're well-trained, as an example. But if they're not spiritually qualified to do those things, then what they'll do on an intellectual or trained or professional manner is just fruitless. The most talented person could devastate the worship in a church without the right spiritual conditions to lead and, and, and direct the music. So that's just an example. And so these uh, deacons who were chosen, they had to also have these qualifications. And everybody was happy with it. It says that pleased the whole gathering. So they chose Stephen. It says a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Philip, who we also hear about later. Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Uh, he, he was a convert who came from Antioch. And they put these guys before the apostles, and they laid hands on them. Now we should also remember that here, in, in if we go to Timothy, later on, so now we're talking about uh, a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3. He gives qualifications for these deacons. So now, those were the initial qualifications, okay? Wisdom, filled with the Spirit, good reputation. But as time went by, they realized it was important for them to have even further qualifications to be in this office of deacon. So Paul writes here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, I'm sorry, not 4, chapter 3, verse 8, says deacons likewise must be dignified. Okay, so they, they should carry themselves well, not snobbily, no, but carry themselves in a, you know, in a, in a good way, not, you know, I should say, slovenly or low-class kind of way. They shouldn't be double-tongued. That means they shouldn't be gossips or go back on their word. They should, you know, know what they believe, and yes and yes is no and no. Not addicted to much wine. Obviously, a drunk deacon would not be a good thing to have in a church. Not greedy for dishonest gain. How often, you know, there's people in the church who have a business idea and they partner with somebody else and the whole idea is to make money dishonestly. So we have to be careful that, you know, they're very honest and reputable people. They must hold the mystery of faith with a clear conscience meaning they should really understand their faith and they should be uh, under grace and forgiveness and not be guilty of things, you know, outside of their faith. Let them also be tested first. Let them serve as deacons and if they prove themselves blameless, okay? So they should be tested. See, you know, don't just bring a guy into the church and say, oh, what a good guy, let's make him a deacon. Let's put him in a, in a service in the church. Let him be tested. Let him be there for a while. Let's see how he endures some difficulties or some trials. See how he interacts with other people. Let's see if he has all of these qualifications. You know, let's not just take his word for it, but let's really, you know, watch and observe how he is. What else? They should be, so they should be blameless. So we should see that there's no accusations and no problems with that person. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified. So it's not just a qualification for the man who's going to be raised up to be an office in the church, but we have to take a look at their wife. So is there an office of deacon's wife? No, but, you know, it, it, 
the wife has such a strong influence on the husband that we have to be careful. So we say, the wives also must be dignified. Okay? Not slanderers, not criticizing and cutting down other people. This is you know, easy to understand for us, but how often these things happen. Sober-minded. That means not foolish, but just, you know, really thinks about things seriously, takes their faith seriously. Faithful in all things. So when they have responsibilities, you know, are they, are they, are they taking care of them? Are they faithful for the little things that they've been called to do? Are they taking care of their household, the children? Are they, if they have some other work in the church, are they doing it well? Are they faithful in all of those things? Also, let the deacons be the husband of one wife. So they shouldn't be, you know, obviously having more than one wife in their life. They should manage their children and their households well. So we could look at this. Their children shouldn't be wild and rebellious. You know, I've seen children in the church that are so poorly behaved, they remove any possibility for the parents to even talk about Jesus because the people they would witness to can't get beyond how poorly their children are behaved. So they need to know how to raise children, how to manage them, and their household well. You know, they shouldn't be going into large debt and being materialistic and doing things that aren't wise for running their household. And one other thing, it says, for those who serve well as deacons, they gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Jesus Christ. So it's a great thing to, to be a good deacon and to serve well in the office of a deacon. And then in chapter 6, going back to chapter 6 of Acts, it talks about how the word of God increased, we're in verse 7. The numbers of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And here's the most amazing thing. A great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is very important, I think, not just to see that the church is growing. I mean, it's great to see the numbers of disciples multiplying greatly in Jerusalem. But priests, those who were so dedicated to the Old Testament laws, rules, and regulations, now were becoming obedient to the faith. So instead of obedient to the law, they were becoming obedient to the faith. And you know, the nicest thing is when you see a really religious person of any religion decide to be a follower of Jesus and they begin to follow and be obedient to the faith. The danger here is that you trade one religion for another religion when you talk about following Jesus. We have to all be very careful about that because when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our hearts and show us things that he wants from us personally, it's very easy for us to make rules and regulations that that's how everybody should be in order to follow Christ. Look like me, talk like me, dress like me, be like me. And then we find a group of us who feel the same way. And then the other group doesn't feel that way. So we split down the middle and we become two different groups because of some ridiculous rule or regulation that we think is the way church is supposed to be. And that's why we have so many thousands of denominations in the world. And God looks at us and says, well, you're my children. You know, you believe in me, you follow me. But this religiosity is, is, has no place in the kingdom of God. But the, sometimes these religious people bring that religious tradition into following in faith, following Jesus in faith. And we'll see later on in the New Testament, it happens all the time. 
They called them Judaizers, the Jews who were so tradition-bound. Yes, we follow Jesus, but we need to bring tradition along with us and religious practice along with us. And Paul was always so angry at those guys because they were destroying the faith with their rules and regulations. And now we see Stephen here is, is separated uh, in, in the book of Acts, a long story talking about him. It starts here in chapter 6, because he's full of grace and power. So two things that we need. Grace, so we can see that God is actively working in our lives, not because of anything that we deserve, but because he's doing it because of his grace. Wow, look at Stephen. You can really see how God's shown grace to him and the things he's doing in his life, not because he's a great person, but because God is really in his life working. Oh, how wonderful. And then power. Look at the power. Now, how do we get power? Simply put, we don't. It's not our power. It's the power of the Holy Spirit operating through us. And that power is something that he gives of his own will. So we can't pray for power, hope for power, wish for power, and it's going to magically appear in our lives. No, the power is something that goes along with the grace. Oh, look at the grace in your life. God's being gracious to you, and he's using you in real power of his Holy Spirit, not in your own power. And it says that he was doing great wonders and signs among the people. How wonderful. Now, remember, he's not an apostle. He's not a pastor. He's a deacon who's supposed to be doing the material things in the church, not the praying and teaching of the word. But look how used he is by God because he's in the right place, being used in the right way, full of grace, full of power, great wonders and signs among the people. So you see, it's not just the leaders of our churches. You know, we tend to think that they're responsible for everything, that they have the one, they're the ones who are responsible for the great spiritual conduct and the bringing the blessings to the church, but it's not true. Anybody in the church who's full of grace and power, who's humble, who's a spiritual person, can bring great signs and wonders among the people. And then, you know, I list some people here who didn't like that. They were from the different Jewish synagogues, and it names them here, Synagogue of the Freedmen of the Cyrenians, of the Alexandrias, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen. So they were making arguments against him, of course, based on their Old Testament beliefs. And Stephen, who doesn't, it says that he's responsible for the material things, and that's the apostles who are responsible for praying and, and teaching the Word of God, but when these guys disputed with Stephen, they couldn't argue with him because he knew the word of God so well. And they couldn't withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. He must have been an incredible guy to know. So, all these religious people, all right, well, if he's being used by God, we have to get rid of him. <laughs> Typical religious practice. You know, even today, if you have a very traditional church and someone really gets filled with the Holy Spirit, or someone starts to seek God in a deeper way, that religious establishment is likely to pat you on the back, pat you on the head, oh, good, you keep that up, but that's not for here. That's for a different time or a different place, but it's good that you're seeking those things. 
I can remember that when I was young, I, my family belonged to a very traditional church, and they invited a, a group to come in. Back then they were called lay witness. And these people were really spirit-filled Christians, and they were allowed to come into these traditional churches, and aside from the regular services, hold meetings. And in those meetings, they would especially teach about real salvation and baptism in the Holy Spirit. So in the basement of our traditional church, many people were baptized with the Holy Spirit, were having the same experience with spiritual gifts, and they went, after a time, they went to the, we called them the reverend or the minister of the church, told him about him, and you know he said, yeah, that's wonderful, I'm really happy for you, but that's not the way our church operates. So those people found themselves having to separate. Some of them still went to that church, but they also did something outside the church. They had a, a weekly Bible study to allow the Holy Spirit to continue the operation that he began in their lives. And there they really dove deep into the Word of God, and they, they worshipped with, you know, back in the 70s, it was new Christian music that was coming out. And they began to really look into the Word of God and hope that the Spirit would operate and continue in them way in, in them in the same way that it's happening here. So that's the that's the difference. They come up, the religious people, and they can't combat it because it's true, it has experiences, it has signs and wonders, it has wisdom, it's based in the Word of God. So they can't really argue with it, but they can try to kill it. So in this case, these religious people they secretly instigated men, and they said they made lies. They said, we've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Then they brought in false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. What a bunch of lies and nonsense. Because they're threatened. Their power, their authority, their finances are all threatened because God's starting to work. It's amazing that the church, which was completely Jewish at this point, would find its biggest enemy among the religious Jews who supposedly were worshiping the same God that we were. And the difference was Jesus Christ. And they said, we've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel, meaning that Stephen was not stressed by what was happening. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was being used by God. He was in the place that he belonged, the office that he belonged in. And God used him there because of his grace, because of his humility. He had wisdom. He knew the word. And boy, he was really filled with faith. So whatever place you find yourself in that God's called you to, be content. Because you're, uh, say, a deacon or a musician, don't, don't covet and envy the leadership of the church. If that's what God calls you to, he'll bring it to you in his time. In your place in the church, be content and ask God to use you in the place that he's called you to in grace and in power. And then that allows the Holy Spirit to also work in signs and wonders through your life.